I don't think we put enough emphasis on forgiveness and the very work that God does in forgiveness. And that's my desire as we look at verse 5 this morning in Psalm 32. uh, We started to realize that how come sin is so important for us to realize the gravity of sin and the joy of forgiveness. The joy of being covered by the Lord and what that really means. Um, I, I, I hope that you begin to realize that as believers, we fail because so many times we put stock in our ability to do good things. And it's the good things in our life that so much Um, And so many times that we rely on the good things as the covering of forgiveness rather than the very nature of God himself and his righteousness. I, I, I think sometimes we sing that old hymn and I love it, nothing but the blood of Jesus, and we sing that, and we sing that, and we sing that, and we, we know it to be true, but we overlook the truthfulness of that statement, nothing but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our unrighteousness, right? But yet we sometimes, if we go to church, we read scripture, or we serve the Lord, or we serve other people, and if I do enough good deeds, we like, that puts away our sinfulness, and we don't realize that we are trying to cover ourselves, And I hope that last time we revealed that there's a reason why Paul quotes David in Romans chapter 4, and that is to reveal the fact that it's only by the work of God's righteousness that we are made right. Paul understood the context of what David was trying to drive home and teach us. We are not righteous. Therefore, any good deeds are as filthy rags in God's sight. They do not lead to the joy of forgiveness. And Psalm 32 really unlocks the real, the joy and contentment that we can have in total forgiveness with the Lord and having this amazing relationship. But why do so many believers struggle with joy or they struggle with having that fulfilled relationship with God? And I totally believe it's because they have the wrong view of sin, wrong view of forgiveness, and the wrong view of what their good deeds really are in our life. And how do we find joy and contentment when Psalm 32 is is a true blessing in the life of a believer, but yet we read sin and we're like, oh, we hide. So this morning, by way of illustration, I want to use a very vivid illustration to show you how we are still getting it wrong when it comes to forgiveness today. And it was exactly the same from the very beginning of time. So go to Genesis chapter 3. 
Genesis chapter 3, as you turn there, verses 1 through 13, I'm just going to read verses 7 through 13, but you know, God created everything, and He creates Adam, He says, let's make man in our own image, talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, having this conversation with Himself, God doesn't need us to have a relationship. He has a relationship, a sustaining relationship within himself. But he says, let's create man and let's create man to have a relationship with us. But then when he sees man, he says, wow, God, God says they need he needs somebody physically to have a relationship with. So he creates woman. And so now they have man and they have woman and they have this relationship with God. They walk day by day with God in the garden. And he says, just don't eat of the tree. Because then you will know. And it's in the knowing that all of a sudden they feel the presence of guilt and shame. Once they ate, they knew they had sinned. They had listened to the evil one. They listened to Satan. Satan had blinded their eyes to what really God was saying. And they didn't get it, what sin was and what sin would do and how it would destroy forever their relationship with God. And Look at what the, happens here. It says in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened. That's what sin did. Disobedience, rebellion. And they knew that they were naked. See, up to that point, it didn't matter because there was no sin. Their eyes weren't open to wrong things. They had a right view of everything. And so what did they do? They knew they had sinned. They knew that they were naked. They knew that things were not right. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Which is interesting. What did sin do? Sin separated them from God, but not only that, but they hid from God. God doesn't hide Himself from us. Our sin does that. God, and uh, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? You didn't have knowledge of that before. You had no understanding of that. And I, it's crazy to think about that statement. And he said, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, now look, God asked a very direct question. Right? God asked a very direct question. What did he do? It's the same problem we still have today. All of us. We deflect. And he said, the man said, the woman. Notice the article. The woman. He didn't say a woman. He said he was very direct. He deflected. 
the woman whom you gave to me, right, to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent. Oh, it's, it's not me, it's the serpent. Deceived me, and I ate. Do you see a pattern here? They hid. They were ashamed. They knew there was something wrong. Right from the very beginning, there's always been this pattern of not only that, but look what they did. They knew that they needed to cover themselves now. Sin demands a covering. And the rest, you know, if you read through the text, what did God do? Did God look at their loincloth and said, yep, that covers everything? Right? Have you ever seen a loincloth? Right? I know Jim has. <laughs> Probably wore a few out in Indonesia. <laughs> so you get a runner, you run around. <laughs> He's like, no, now he's embarrassed. So <laughs> the loincloth doesn't cover anything. That's the idea. When we realize that we sin and we try to do good deeds to pin something together to cover our sin, I'm here to tell you folks, it doesn't cover. God's work and God's work alone covers. It's His pattern of forgiveness. He then went on to to pick out the precious lamb who would become the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, the the forecoming and the foreshadowing of Christ. And he offered up that precious little lamb and made a complete covering for Adam and Eve. You see, if we want to enjoy we want to enjoy God and we want to enjoy this relationship with God. We want to have unlocked the joy and have true contentment. It's not that you will never sin. It's the fact that you have the right pattern in dealing with your sin. And it starts with not hiding it. The pattern for confronting sin in your life revolves around confession. I don't have the clicker, so if you can just, I'll point to you. There you go. It revolves around true confession. I am sorry to tell you, but I am sorry does not count as true confession. Just simply saying, I am sorry, God, is like putting on a loincloth. Telling people that you are sorry for doing something that they didn't like is not truly being sorry. That's just a loincloth trying to patch up a relationship. Confession is to throw down or to cast down. It's literally when you confess, it's to lay it all on the table. Right? Here are all the moving parts of my life. It's to pull back the covers and to expose Here is everything. Let me tell you about being exposed. We were in the the in Israel. We were going down to the Dead Sea, and our professor said, Look, I know all of you want to go out in the Dead Sea. You want to float in this mineral-filled lake. 
I know it's a novelty. It's just a lot of minerals and it's a lot of lake and it's fun to float. But let me tell you something. If you have any cracks in your skin, it will be painful and you don't just wash it off. So I'm giving you full disclosure. It's painful when you go in. And everybody says, well, I don't have any cuts. I don't have any, I don't have any problems. And I, there was guys that walked in, got their foot in. Just think about your feet, guys. How many people have ever dealt with athlete's foot? Those guys that were first in were some of the first guys right out. They were yelling. Ah, it hurt. And they said, no, I don't have anything. Any cracks? I don't have anything. But their shoes, their feet were covered, but they didn't realize they had an infection in their foot. They found out as soon as they stepped in. The water, the mineral-filled water exposed it. Guys made it, you know, some people made it all the way in. They put their hands in, and ladies, you know those pesky little hangnails? They were leaving the water as fast as they put their hands in the water. It's hard to describe, but it was, it was searing pain, like getting stung by a bee over and over and over and over again. Jared's like going, oh man, because he got stung this week. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what it was like. You think that you are fine until you finally get in and the water exposes everything. Confession. Confessing your sin to the Lord is truly exposing and realizing how cracked your life truly is. In the New Testament, the word confess carries the idea of agreement. It goes further, just laying down before the Lord, laying your whole life down and realizing how cracked your life really is. That no matter how good you try to make your life seem, it still is cracked. And that it is only God that can fix that and take away the pain and the shame and the guilt. And now in the New Testament, it's saying, I am in full agreement with you, God, that I truly am cracked and that life is not that it's all cracked up to be right? This, this, this world in which we live in is not really to be desired, but man, this relationship with you is everything to be desired. In the confessing his sin, David used three words to describe the mess that he had gotten himself into. He had talked about sin, which means that he missed the mark. It's not shooting at the target and just not hitting the bullseye. It's shooting at a target and never hitting the target. That's the idea. No matter how much, you know, for us that like to go out and shoot targets, it's like the frustration of, have you ever had a gun that you've shot at the target and you can't even see where you're hitting on the target? That's a nightmare. I've had that happen before and realized that my scope was broken. Guys, our scope is broken. You're looking at the target and you are aiming completely off target. You'll never hit it. Your life cannot hit the target. That's sin. Transgression, the idea he calls transgression, is to cross the line willingly, 
to transgress. Your life, literally, you're willing to cross the line to eat the fruit on the other side, knowing that you shouldn't eat it, but you're going to willingly do it. It's rebellion. The idea behind iniquity in our text is crookedness. You are crooked. We, we are distorted. The sin in our life, we, we cannot correct ourselves. That's why Paul says in Romans 7, I know the right thing to do and I still can't do the right thing, he says. I love the tongue twister in which Paul gives us Romans chapter 7. But God says, if we confess our sin, 1 John, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. If we confess. So here's the pattern of confronting your sin in your life. Here's the pattern that we have. Number one, confess the extent or the existence of the sin. David says in verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin. You need to confess to say, God, yes, I have sinned. I have sinned. I know I am going to struggle with sin. I have cracks everywhere all throughout my life. I am not perfect. No matter how good I am, I am still a sinner. Confess the existence of your sin. To know, to perceive, to make known to others, I acknowledge I am a sinner. That's the beginning of the right pattern in confronting our sin to confessing our sin. Basically, this word teaches us that we must face up to the fact of our own sin. I don't know if you notice, but the people that love God the most also acknowledge that they sin the most. The people that struggle in their relationship with God are those that don't acknowledge that they sin the most. We all sin. The word that David used to describe sin to miss the mark, right? It is like that nobody can hit the target. So why do you keep trying? We need to confess and acknowledge our sin. The second thing is this. In verse 5, we see the fact that in order to have a right relationship with God and, and to enjoy and have this pattern to realize how to deal with our sin and to confront our sin is to confess the extent, the full extent of our sin. That is, the degree of our sin, the level of our sin, the amount of our sin, the range of our sin. You know, how far we'll go to sin, the scope of our sin, the magnitude of our sin. That's the full extent of sin. Not hiding the true extent of our sin. That's what David did when he sinned with Bathsheba and then he went on to try to hide it and he needed to acknowledge the full extent of his sin before the Lord. We need to get honest about the fact that our sin invades every avenue of our life. Every nook and cranny has areas of sin. It's amazing, but if you think about it, the word that David uses about transgression is is that he is acknowledging the full extent that in transgression, we go really far to cross the line to sin. 
that full extent on how far we go to actually cross the line with God. Our defiance. David simply did what always needed to be done with sin. He pulled back the covers. He revealed his sin in all of its ugliness and its rottenness. David got honest about his sin, and that is what it took for him to be right with God. Thomas Watson said this about sin. So, Thomas Watson, Thomas Watson, not our Thomas Watson that we know that's off at Bible College, but that's why I always laugh when I think of Thomas. But Thomas Watson, a great theologian, so you've got to bear with me because he has a lot of deaths and these and thous. He's very Shakespearean. Uh, he wrote this and he said this, The hypocrite doth veil and smother his sin. He doth not cut away the sin, but concealeth it. Like a patient that hath some lonesome disease in his body, he would rather die than confess this disease. But a godly man sincerely is seen in this. He will confess and shame himself of sin. Lo, I have sinned and I hath done wickedly. Nay, a child of God will confess his sin in particular. An unsound Christian will confess sin by wholesale. Yeah, I'm a sinner, is what he's saying. He will acknowledge he is a sinner in general, whereas David doth, as it were, point his finger to the sore that I have done this, this particular evil. He doth not say I have done evil but this specific evil have I done. He points at his blood guiltness before God. How many times do we say, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but we don't point to the specific sin in our life and acknowledge the extent of our sin. Real, deep, genuine confession of sin has always been the paramount feature in all genuine revival. It's not a mistake, folks. You know why? Because then the true extent of our joyful relationship with God can be had. You know, for the last 25, uh, 250 years, you can look at every single revival that has happened and you can see the peeling back of sin. Jonathan Edwards, the hand, you know, you know, his great sermon on sin and all of these things. But you can go all the way back to, to the Ephesus or the church in Ephesus recorded in Acts 19. And it says, many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. They were, they were constantly telling all of their sinful deeds before everyone. Christians were getting right with God and openly confessing a part of it, which leads to the third pattern for confronting our sin, and that is confessing the error of our sin. So we see the existence, the extent, and the error. The other word that David used to describe sin was iniquity, the crookedness and the bent, and that we are in error. 
That's the idea. In the New Testament, iniquity is this. It, it, it's described in the New Testament to mean is that loving sin is, is more than loving God and His truth. That's what iniquity means, to actually love sin more than to love God. We under wonder why do we struggle in our relationship with God? Because we're out loving our sin more. We need to stop loving our sin more and loving God more. When we love God more, the sin is exposed. And when the sin is exposed, guess what? God deals with it. Isn't that great? When God deals with it, guess what abounds yet more and more? Joy and true contentment. Our old sinful nature is always striving to do that which is wrong. That's what Paul was saying in Romans that we talked about in Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 25. There is something in me that is prone to evil, Paul says, and often I'm guilty of giving in to those desires. The idea here is, is that we need to realize that we're just in error. We are bent, we are prone. We are depraved. We are always prone to bend towards sin. When we follow this pattern that that David gives us about sin, we are going to find joy. Look at the very end of this verse. He says in verse 5, at the very end, it says, And you, talking about God, forgave the iniquity of my sin. God forgives the propensity for us to go after evil. Just let that sink in. The pattern for complete, fulfilled joy is fulfilling this true pattern of confession in our life. Confession is not simply, I'm sorry. It's exposing the sin in our life and letting others see it. And letting God forgive it. Some might say, I, you know, I really have, I don't feel forgiven. What are you not being truthful about? Are you a wholesale Christian who just says, yeah, I'm a sinner? Or are you being specific about your sin? In conclusion, uh, this is what we see is as restoration is ready But the confession of sin is the only path to that restoration. Restoration is ready. God is ready to restore you despite your sin. No sin, nothing to hide, no shame. Genuine confession cannot totally... Sin, non-confession... Hiding our sin, not willing to say what sin is, not agreeing with God about sin, not showing the full extent of our sin. See, Satan says if people really know the full extent of your sin, then you will not be a good Christian. It's a lie. Run to God. Stop hiding from God. God can see all of your sin. That's why when we go to church, we step into the water at church and the Holy Spirit is, being, is exposing every crack in your chain of goodness in your life. No amount of body armor is going to stop the Holy Spirit from 
painfully exposing your sin. You want to stop that? Confess it to the Lord. Draw near to the Lord, and God will draw near to you. Are you struggling? Expose your sin. Don't. Do you understand what David is getting at? We are great at trying to hide sin with goodness, but there none of those good things are good. Only God alone is good. Don't miss your opportunity to experience the blessed state of no shame that comes from confessing your sin. It's really odd. We live in a world that has bought into the garden lie. Put on the loincloth and you'll be just fine. Right? I, by the way, I called that my, my dressing theology. <laughs> I, it's like we want to dress ourselves with the least amount of clothes, but God says, no, I have the perfect covering just for you. You know what's amazing is when we allow God to cover us and we expose our sin and we allow God to cover us, no matter what the world does, no matter what people think about you, you have joy, contentment, and no shame because you're loved by God. And it's that love that you will live with for the rest of your life, whether it's here or in eternity with God. Which... which What will you follow? The lie that Satan perpetuated from the very beginning in the garden that we still follow today. Did God really say, you have to do this? Yes. The difference is complete joy on the other side versus trying to always reposition our loincloth. It's uncomfortable. You ever wonder why we struggle with our bodies? It's because of sin. It's because of the way we try to clothe ourselves, cover up our our feelings and our emotions, expose it to the Lord, and let Him remove all of that. Right? Be honest. Don't worry about whether people know your sin or not. By the way, the more people know about your sin, the less sinful you usually are. It's pretty funny how that works. Right? That's God's pattern of dealing and confronting with our sin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our blessed time together. I thank you that you have given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The question for us this morning is, are we in Christ or are we still trying to be in our good deeds? That goes both ways for the unbeliever and the believer. Are we still trying to live by our good deeds? There's no good deeds that can get us to heaven. And yet, as people that are saved, that, Lord, you did that amazing work in us and saved us from our sin, and yet we're still trying to live in our good deeds. We don't do good deeds to feel good. We do good deeds because of the love that we have for you. You actually give us the good deeds through your righteousness. And yet we still believe that lie to this day. Lord, I pray that the realization of how important it is for us to deal with our sin would create a revival within our church, within our community. And that we would, that it would 
go out from here and out from other churches around the United States that would heal our land because people are getting right with you. If we're not right with you, we can't be right with each other. No matter how good our politics are, no one's ever going to be right until we are right with you. Lord, I pray right now that somebody here would say, I've been living my whole life trying to be right with God and thinking that I'm a Christian, but a, a follower of Christ. But really, I've just been a follower of the same lie, living according to myself. That they would lay down and confess and cast themselves down before you and say, it's not my life, Lord. It's your life. I need to surrender in full submission that I'm a sinner and call upon the name of the Lord that by His work on the cross, when Jesus died for our sins, that His perfect life, His perfect work on the cross was able to be the go-between, to stand between God and us to save us from our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that, Lord, that they would be saved this morning, that they would confess to You and call upon You and Your work, and that, Lord, You would save them. Do that work in their heart that they cannot do in their mind or in their body. Pray, Lord, that the rest of us would continue to confess just as it says in 1 John 1, 9, just as David said in Psalm 32, just as you called Adam and Eve to do in their life. And that we would not continue to fall back into the trappings of just making our own good coverings that turn out to be holy, imperfect, falling off, rotting, and not really covering anything at all. We are still sinners. Thank you, Lord, that you are merciful and gracious and that we can sing of this great victory. We can, we can rejoice and we can be excited because of what you've done for us despite our sin. We do not have to be shamed. We, do not, we can come before a majestic God and rejoice despite our sin. Thank you, Lord, that we can sing of this wondrous truth. Thank you that we can proclaim your goodness in the midst of proclaiming our sinfulness. That we would become better at exposing so that way we can be better at exposing your greatness to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.